Hey, everybody. Welcome back to What Happened to You. Today, I'm joined by Mario Adrian. And is just to clarify, is that how you pronounce your last name? Yeah, I mean, it's Adrian. It's a French Adrian. last name, but I sound like a little douchey and pretentious when I say it like that, you know? <laughs> so I just say Adrian, you know? Okay. My first time, technically, it's like, uh, it's a Mario, you know? That's how I introduce myself. Yeah. I'm 100% German, though. People get confused, you know? It's an Italian first name and French last name, but... uh. I did my 23 me. I'm 99% German. So it's, wow. I guess, German as he gets. Yeah. That's why. I was surprised too. Yeah. So Adrian or something. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what the Adrian, German pronunciation is. You know, yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, Mario Adrian is a uh, YouTuber, model, and fellow stand up comedian who I was lucky enough to meet at a mic, uh, I guess, last week. Maybe a week yeah. and a half ago. Exactly. We, yeah. Thank you so much for being here, man. I'm excited to hear your story. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I met you at the mic and I loved your energy. You know, we had like a similar story. So I'm glad you get, you invited me to come on here. Oh, yeah. dude, it's it's my pleasure, man. That yeah. mic was so funny because like, you know, whenever I so I did the molestation material and whenever I do that material, generally somebody has some sort of a reaction to it, whether, you know, they were also molested or had a similar experience of some kind. But I rarely have somebody who goes up on stage after who's like, hey, I had a similar experience and then talks about it on stage and is funny about yeah. it too. And like as, soon yeah. as you, like, as soon as you did that, I was like, got to do a podcast. Like, it's just too perfect yeah. timing. It's tough sometimes because I love that you did that and you uh, are able to talk about it even in a comedy setting, which is, you know, some people would say it's inappropriate, but um, I love the freedom that we can actually make, you know, I mean, turn anything into comedy you know whether it's something positive or negative it's just real you know and it's authentic so yeah i, I love that <laughs> i totally yeah. agree man yeah it's definitely not for everybody but the people that like humor and using humor as a coping mechanism as an introduction yeah. to these deeper conversations i mean it, it resonates so hard with people and i know for me like i would not be anywhere near the spot that i'm at now in terms of healing had it not been for humor uh, I yep. didn't even talk about this at all until I started laughing about it for the most part. And, yeah. uh, and now I, now it's, now I can't stop talking about it. So it's yeah. <laughs> an amazing thing in that way, for sure. Um, well, thank you so much for being here, Mario. What happened to you? Um, I mean, what happened to me is um, I decided to get into one of the most competitive industries, uh, which is the fashion industry in New York city. So, um, yeah, I mean, to go back a little bit, I'm from a small town in Germany. And uh, when I was like 18, 19 years old, I had the chance to go to New York, like uh, a scout on Facebook. That's that's how you know how old I am. You know, on Facebook, he reached out to me and he was like, uh, hey, Marty, you should come to New York to be a model. You know, and I was like, you know what? I always want to follow my impulse and do the things that are like sometimes a little bit unconventional, but that I'm also afraid of. So I just took the leap and just went to New York City and I was studying psychology at the time in Berlin and uh, yeah, then get into this industry and the fashion industry, like a lot of people don't know about this, but the fashion industry is a highly sexualized industry, not just for women though, but also for men. And um, I happen to do a lot of like underwear photo shoots, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so it's very sexual. A lot of the focus is on the male body and, and, and the physique and the sexiness. I mean, sex sells fashion. It's not a, it's not a secret. Right. And then after a while, I mean, I started having my first couple of photo shoots and the nature of it, of course, you are oiled up on a photo shoot set in underwear, you know, yeah. and most photographers and also the fashion industry, most people who call the shots are gay. Uh, mm -hmm. which is just the nature of the fashion industry. You know, a lot of creative industries like gay men especially have a lot of power, which, which I think is great. There's a lot of like great people in the industry who bring it forward who are very creative, you know, a lot of designers. Yeah. But there's also a lot of like men who then know that they're in a position of power that then they think they can abuse that power, you know? You have to imagine you're, you're a young model in New York City. You're 18 years old. And the, com the, the, the competition is insane. The best models in the world are there. There are so many dudes who have the same abs, the same, the same jawline, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, it's true. I mean, so many dudes technically look like you and they all go in for the same job. And people think like modeling, you have like this glamorous lifestyle, but it's not necessarily true because most models I know are broke. You know, they live in New York. I lived in a model apartment with eight guys sharing one bathroom. And uh, I had to pay yeah. for my visa, which is like $8,000 for my visa. So I was in debt technically with my agency when I first came to New York. 
And uh, yeah, there's not a lot of jobs, you know? So um, then when a photographer at a photo shoot, that's how it started, right? Photographers would like, you know, start by making like compliments, right? And I, I'm totally cool with that. It took me a while. Like I come from a small town. So being around in such a gay industry was like, took me a little bit to adjust, but mm-hmm. I felt very comfortable. Like I soon made like some of my best friends are gay in New York. And it was just, I felt very comfortable after a while. So whenever a photographer makes like some compliments, you know, and compliments how my butt looks or my penis looks in the underwear, yeah. uh, I, I take it as a compliment. You know, some people would think that's like, it's, you know, if it's, if I don't feel uncomfortable with it, I can, I, you know, I kind of condition myself to take it as a compliment and then not take, you know, offense or any of that. Um, I feel like it all, it just yeah. comes down to the intention and the way that you feel when the person is saying it, if they're doing it in a predatory yeah. way, that's, it's. I mean, you can't always feel it, but I feel like you can kind of tell the difference between somebody who's genuine and somebody who's absolutely get into your pants underwear. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. hundred percent. Yeah. And yeah. you know, sometimes it's a nice compliment if they tell you, look, you look good on a photo shoot. I think that only like helps the, the dynamic of the shoot, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but then it started with a couple of shoots I did with also photographers outside of my agency, because you also have Instagram now where people hit you up on Instagram and want to shoot with you. Right. So a lot of these photographers, they also pretend sometimes to be these big names who promise you everything. It's like mm-hmm. in L.A., you know, you come to L.A. as a young actor, female, and then somebody promises you they're going to make you a star, that kind of thing. So a lot of photographers tell me that, that they see so much potential in me, they're going to make me a star and put me on the cover of like the magazines and stuff. And, uh, and then in this, at the same time, they've they'd established that power dynamic of the fact that like they can help me. And I was insecure, young and desperate, you know, so saying no to things is very difficult, you know. So then it started by a photographer in New York. I remember one of my first shoots, he then came up to me and was like, uh, you know, in underwear photo shoots, you put oil on your body. It's quite normal for the light reflection. Mm-hmm. And then he asked me if he can put oil on my body, you know. And I was like, you know what, I don't feel that's fine. You know, I, I, don't, I have nothing against that. So he started like massaging my back and stuff. But then every once in a while, he would also like, while he was adjusting my underwear for the photo shoot, he would then like adjust the underwear, but then also like accidentally touch my dick, that kind of stuff, you know? Accidentally in quotes, potentially accidentally. Yeah. 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 And so it was the whole energy, the whole vibe was very like, you know, flirtatious and stuff. And uh, that would happen. I mean, I'm not, this is not a one-time thing. This happened multiple times. My impulse was like saying something, you know, but it's difficult in that situation to address it because you don't want to be this like a narrow-minded German kid from a small town who's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, like disrespecting this big photographer who could like bring my career forward, you know, and I want him to take pictures of me. And it's all about photographers. They have so much power in the industry because they're connected to like clients and every single profession I think is like, it's all networking. Right. Yeah. So I don't want to burn any bridges with photographers by, you know, by saying something. And it's like that weird balance that you have between like, oh, what do I feel comfortable with? I want to like be authentic and speak up about things. But at the same time, I don't want to risk and jeopardize my career. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like that. Yeah. So it's a very strange dynamic for sure. Um, Yeah. And I mean, that's like one of many experiences. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you about like the initial like recruitment on Facebook? So somebody reached out to you and was basically just like, hey, I think you're super hot and i want to i want you to be a model yeah. so is that like you were 18 at the time yeah nine i think 19 when I, 19. 18, 19 yeah yeah what's like the average like because i know that there are like obviously kid models and things like that um yeah, yeah and it seems like there's probably i imagine people are reaching out to people that are underage as well and yeah i'm i'm curious like talent recruitment i guess would be the the term or professional yeah. term that they would use and not you know attractive child identifier or whatever you yeah. would want to call it but it, it, yeah. it's interesting to me that like i remember it was when i first started doing stand up in new york there was this guy who did this bit about how isn't it weird that um disney stars like disney child actors and actresses always just happen to be super attractive when they get older yeah and yeah. like the the bit was basically like, who has this eye for these like uh, uh, children that end up blossoming into these beautiful people? 
And I wonder if if that's like somewhat similar in the modeling industry. Like, do you have people that are reaching out to underage people? And like, is that common or are they fairly strict about being 18 and up? Uh, I mean, depends what type of modeling, right? For all the underwear modeling and that kind of stuff. I think that's like more of like, I mean, you you almost got to be 18. Like once you start shooting like sexy content, especially in this day and age, I think now even more so. Yeah. People are more careful with that kind of stuff. Like I shot with a lot of photographers that um, that did like sexy underwear shoots. And they, they have a niche, right? They, they focus on that kind of stuff. And uh, they said they never shoot people under 18, you know, because that's just like, it's weird. So um, I, I will say that with a child modeling, I don't have too much experience with that because I started obviously like in the clearly like male fashion industry. Uh, I think it's a little bit separate, you know, because as a child, there's a lot of kids who have a very commercial look, which doesn't necessarily translate into like, uh, like fashion modeling for men because also there's a huge height requirement like it's changing now with social media and more celebrities taking over like the campaigns and stuff but traditionally if you want to work as a fashion model and you want to actually work you know and make it a full-time job you got to be 6'2 I mean that's mm-hmm. like a six one. this is like really cutting you know so you have that specific height requirement mm-hmm. and um yeah and then also there's different types of modeling right there's the fashion modeling which is more of the runway stuff you see like uh the high fashion brands like uh like armani those kind of brands like the bigger gucci all that stuff and then you have the commercial modeling which is more stuff like uh maybe nike um uh old navy that kind of stuff you know macy's that's like more of the commercial vibe so those are also very different so i would say also with all the sexual harassment it happens more in the fashion world like words like high fashion, very prestigious, you know, I never had like, I mean, I shot tons of stuff for Macy's in New York and I had never had bad experiences because that's like more of a, that's more of a corporation. It's more commercial. It's very well organized. And also actually, I think in those fields, also more women work there. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to like more of the designer stuff, like uh, in, especially in Milan and New York, like the high fashion stuff, that's when like, photographers are these like artists you know like it's like it's it's diff- it's it's almost like two separate industries i would say yeah um so yeah and with the child actors i think uh when it comes to high fashion i know a lot of guys that were scouted when they were like 15 or 16 mm-hmm. and because right now there's also a trend happening especially in milan during fashion week they want the guys who look super young and androgynous so there's like these dudes who are like I mean, it's literally 16 years old, super skinny dudes too, who then wa- walk for like a, a Prada as a perfect example, or Yves Saint Laurent in Paris, uh, or Saint Laurent now. They're they're super like um, skinny boyish guys, and those those guys honestly, they will work when they're young, but once they grow out, they kind of don't have that like look anymore, and then often they have like two seasons where they're killing it. You see them on campaigns, but then they're kind of out that's when they're younger. And then when you're older, I mean, I have a friend, he's 36 now, one of my best friends, uh, I make a lot of YouTube videos with him. He's a super good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he still works a lot. He's, she just flew to, uh, to Tennessee yesterday to shoot for Dillard to underwear campaign. Cause he's got more of that, like manly, you know, he's got a beard and stuff. So he's like, it's more, yeah, it's more stable after yeah. that time. Yeah. Gotcha. So I think it's like there's different markets too for modeling, you know? Yeah, for sure. So going back to your experience, when, when this all was going on and, you know, with that power dynamic, I feel like that's such a common theme when men and women experience sexual assault, abuse, whatever it is, what was going on in your head? Did you feel like you sort of got used to that experience or did things ever escalate past that? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, there's definitely, uh, you get used to things and you almost take it for granted after a while. It's, it's strange how... My tolerance now for sexual harassment is so high. So it's almost being normalized, which is, I don't know if that's a good thing, but I think like anything in life, once it happens to you so many times and so many shoots, you almost expect it. And I'll be honest, like I have, I have been out of the modeling game, like actually like professionally for a while now. I transitioned into YouTube. That's my main job now, social media, now getting into comedy, uh, which is like, you know, I I have more set, more control over my career, but a couple of weeks ago, I shot with a photographer in LA. <laughs> I'm not going to name names, but like, yeah. we shot and it was like some underwear stuff. And he's, he shoot beautiful stuff. Like he was driving out from LA uh, and uh, I was at the photo shoot. And literally like uh, we were doing some nude shoots too, like implied nudes because he does very high quality stuff, you know? So um, he then literally, I mean, 
I was new there and he said that he wanted to, to adjust something and all of a sudden he literally just like literally grabbed my dick and I was like and, and the weird thing is you know in that moment I was like I almost you know the normal reaction people would be that they'd be shocked or something you know I was literally in my head I was almost laughing because I was like are you fucking serious like I felt like I was back in New York you know I was like yeah it's a weird you know it's something it's like you jaded or something it's just like something you almost expect to happen at some point you know yeah like i wasn't surprised at all yeah (laughs) yeah yeah totally Um, and i just told him and it was funny shit so i told him like i told him uh you know he asked me if i can because there's a thing called fluffing right you gotta like look good in your underwear and stuff you know so that's like it's a very awkward situation on underwear photo shoot because you have to look presentable you know because it's all about like having it bold and all this stuff yeah there's gonna be some blood flow before exactly yeah okay some photographers bring it up in a very nice way they go like hey mario you know we want you to live a little you know like that that's like a nice (laughs) way of saying it i was like okay i fuck with that but that dude literally just like wanted to give me a hand you know which i appreciate he wants to help a bro out you know and then i was like i just i just told him hey man no i literally said (laughs) i said uh no, I'm good, bro. <laughs> you know, I, I, I flew in the bro too. It's like, <laughs> and then he's like, okay, yeah. cool, cool, cool. And then we continued shooting. So it was all good, you know, but he yeah, the bro, the bro is like a gay deterrent. almost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, duh, bro. I'm good, dude. I don't need a hand. I don't even thank say you, that bro. in real life. It's just like that moment just came out of me. I was like, <laughs> so yeah, that was that. And I, like I said, now I'm doing my own stuff. So I'm not really, um, having to deal with that but uh i will say it's gone a lot further than that also i'll be honest like i had uh sometimes even uh, specific offers like i had a photographer specifically tell me in berlin that he's going to put me on this cover the cover of this magazine which at the time i thought was like this huge fashion magazine now i look at it it's like some it's some weird ass magazine that nobody cares about but anyways Mm -hmm. uh, he told me he's going to put me on the cover of that magazine if he lets me suck my dick that's my, was that gram, grammatically right? If, so he wanted he lets if you let him suck your dick. He wanted yes. to suck your dick. Exactly, exactly. Wow. And uh, I, I was like, okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, and I, I said this in my stand-up bit. I'm like, yo, I was so confused because like he wanted to give me a magazine cover and a blowjob, so you like double <laughs> receiving, you know? It was like Christmas. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay. Yeah. So that should happen. So it's like it's not just like this vague. Often it's like this vague power dynamic where you don't want to say no to things, and they know that they know they have that power over you, so they know they can demand things and go further, and they can get away with it, right? Yeah. But then there's sometimes even like these super, like almost like a fucking contract, like a like a, here's the deliverables for a contract magazine cover in exchange for you know that kind of stuff. I was like, <laughs> it's so specific sometimes. And it might, I mean, I'm hoping, I'm hoping also by having this conversation that it's changing a little bit with the whole Me Too movement, because I was modeling, I mean, actively the, the peak was like 2016, 17. So um, that maybe it was not as, because now with the photographers and I I follow the news and stuff, there's a, a, an Instagram page called shit list, shit model management or something, which Mm -hmm. basically is like a site that exposes uh photographers agents that have been inappropriate and there's also been a lot of photographers that have have been canceled like um mari justino bruce weber there's been like the biggest name literally the biggest names in fashion once one person comes out male male like that's all this is all male photographers right yeah uh once one person comes out like a wave of people just come out and every single person that gets canceled i've had an experience like a negative experience with so i feel like wow because of the whole climate and the Me Too movement, it now kind of like a couple of years after the fact, after I was in the industry actively, now people are being called out for that stuff more, you know? That's yeah. amazing. That's, yeah. It is so wild seeing how deeply rooted these, I don't want to call them traditions, but like patterns of behavior are. And yeah. it's like just in the last, I don't know when Me Too started, maybe five, 10 years ago, uh, probably closer to five. It's relatively recent. And it's just like this way. I mean, there's so many people like the most powerful people in every industry. It feels like are somehow in related to these power dynamic forced relationships, forced acts and whatever you want to call it. It's, it really is wild to see, but I, I agree. It is encouraging too to like see people like yourself talking about these things openly. Cause it feels like 
the best thing that we can do about it is just talk about it. And people yeah. are so afraid and uncomfortable to talk about it. And that's why I feel like you and I both gravitate towards humor because it's so much easier to laugh about these things and then talk about it rather than just to go in cold and like fucking, yeah, it's, it, uh, totally. it diffuses the tension. And I love what you said about the, um, like some people might think it's like inappropriate, but I think it's so cool. Like with comedy, to actually raise awareness for something like that. You know, it's like comedy first, but then you also like, you know, you bring awareness to a topic and you start a conversation, which I think it's important, especially, especially for men, because there's an organization called one in six, which uh, is like, um, I, I made a whole like fundraiser for them as well that supports That's men awesome. who've been victims of sexual harassment and assault. And then they say one in six men has been victim of like sexual assault or harassment, uh, which is, which is something that men, I feel like, especially as a man, you don't want to admit that shit. Cause like, especially for a lot of like, you know, straight guys, it's like, Oh no, I don't want to admit because it makes me gay or something. There's a big stigma around that too. As a man, I mean, arguably you are supposed to be stronger and, and you know, there's a physical thing where like, you know, obviously a woman sometimes just physically is not going to be able to protect herself as you know, like, mm -hmm. like a man could do but it still happens to men. And sometimes admitting that takes a lot of like courage. So, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I talk about in my standup is that I thought that I was gay while I was getting molested. And yeah. it, it's not like, even at that age, I was, you know, eight to 10 when it was going on, Yeah, but I was still having those masculinity issues associated with it, where I didn't want anybody to know about this because I was embarrassed that I would get boners while it was going on. Like I thought that that would all of a sudden invalidate the the whole experience. Like, I mean, I, yeah. I literally thought that if I spoke up that the guy who molested me would tell the cops like, yeah, I, I molested him totally, but he had boners. And I thought the cops mm -hmm. would just be like, Oh, okay, well, no worries then. Like, it's not a pro like, it's all good. Like don't sweat. Yeah. So that's yeah. just like the logic that you're dealing with at that age. And that sort of idea that you can't, admit to something like this like I thought I, I had a hard time telling my first girlfriend um my first like serious girlfriend about it because I thought that she would be like oh my god like you were into you were into a thing with a dude like do you even are you do you like women like are you yeah. even interested in me and yeah, yeah. um and there's we come up with all of these hypothetical scenarios for how people are going to respond when we do speak up and most of the reason those hypotheticals pop into our minds, I think, is just conditioning. It's how we're told to behave. And 100%, yeah. Yeah, it's a very where, vulnerable... Where did you grow up also? Where was that? Seattle. Seattle, okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's also, I mean, it's, it really depends on where you grew up too, I think. Because, like, for me, I'm from a small... Like, my, my hometown is like a town of 1,000 people in, in, in the south of Germany, you know? So it's also strange because in my hometown, there's nobody who was like, I don't know, a single person who was openly gay not a single person. Right. Yeah. So, uh, it, it, that also adds, you know, when you grow up with that, it's like even harder to then admit to stuff like that. But now I'll be also like with my sexuality now I'm like much more, I mean, I have to admit though, like it blocked me sexually for a long time. Um, because I, I, for the longest time for me, sex was not something I could enjoy is not an, an act of intimacy. I share with another person but I associated sex with negative experience that happened to me. Yeah. And I also associated sex and sexuality with it work because I mean, I'm a model of my, in a way, like my, like sex appeal, my, my body is like what makes me money. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's this weird thing when you associate, you, you don't keep the sanctity of like having that, you know, as something special for one person, but it's something you kind of share with people that can be like, it kind of, subconsciously i was not aware of it but i it really fucked with me in a way where like i uh i had a girlfriend when i was 18 years old and then once i started modeling i first of all modeling is like so tough because i was not living in one place i was trapped every two months i would be in a new country so it's very hard obviously to have a relationship but also i thought i was asexual because i didn't have sex for like years like two three years without sex and uh i guess i could have but it's just like i mean i'm also very driven and i never put so much focus on that and i didn't wasn't interested in, in random hookups mm -hmm. but i think part of it was also like like i said you know the fact that i associated sex with those experiences so it kind of blocked me and it took me a while now i have a girlfriend which now opened me up a lot more to 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 sexual experiences and to 
detaching from 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 how, what I associated it with, you know. Yeah. Yeah, man. It sounds like it was almost transactional. Um, it was. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird when you're having sex for a motive, like uh, for an ulterior motive. Like, I, in order for this to be enjoyable and and purposeful, I need to be getting something out of it, or somebody that I'm with needs to be getting something out of it, and yeah, it's totally yeah. just a product of the experiences that you've had. And that's awesome that you, that you have a girlfriend now and, and seem to feel differently about it. Um, how has your relationship affected your understanding and sort of feelings about sex? I mean, I, first of all, I got to say that she's, we, we're, we have such an open like communication and speaking with her has also taught me a lot about like boundaries because she has also had ex- like experiences with uh, sexual assault. Mm-hmm. with men uh like straight men so uh f- for her it's always been a lot more she she's she puts up these boundaries way earlier and she's like she taught me a lot about keeping those boundaries for myself and kind of because i look at it almost like I, I i i'm aware that like my experience and how i how i grew up is very unconventional you know uh i and 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 sometimes I, for the longest time, did not with that sexual assault, which I didn't even mention fully. I was also, besides from all these stories that happened, um, should probably mention that story. Uh, for one job, I went to China and uh, it was for, for a modeling job. It was a very powerful client. And uh, basically what happened is he, after the shoot, invited me to have dinner. And I'm very open. I love having dinner with people. I never, um, I always say yes to things. You know, I never want to go and I have an open mind to things. You know, that's, I think, what got me far in my life, always having an open mind to things. Mm-hmm. So I had dinner with him. And then after the dinner, I also went back to his place. And he asked me if I wanted to do uh, ketamine. Um, uh-huh. Ketamine is like, it's like a drug, right? It's like, a, like basically a tranquilizer. But if you take too much of it, you can like, you know, basically it kind of paralyzes you. It can be used for like depression treatment and small dose and stuff. And it's got some, I could, I guess like everything, good sides and bad sides. Mm-hmm. I don't like, I'd never done drugs before, you know, I didn't know what my tolerance was, but I wanted to have an open mind. And also, you know, I was like, I was in China, I just did this job. Things are going well. I was like, well, he have an open mind. Also, I don't want to let this dude down who now, and we had a good dinner. Honestly, it was very nice. I had a great conversation with him and he did like, like, a full line. I did like a quarter of a line, barely. Yeah. I don't know why, but for some reason I was, I, I mean, I could not like fucking move, you know, it was crazy. I was like, you know, I think what people call a K-hole. Um, yeah. So I tried to move my right finger and it just wouldn't like compute, you know, it was weird. And you couldn't uh, move your finger. I could like, I was laying, I was laying in the bed, you know? And then I was like, I, I couldn't, yeah, I can't remember exactly how it was, but I wasn't fully physically capable. I could move a little bit, but it was not like my motor, motor, um, you know, motor function, like yeah. abilities were just not, were just not there, you know? That's wild. Um, yeah. And, and then also I, uh, I, I noticed that, I mean, he was, um, yeah, we, we, he did have sex with me, uh, in that, um, that time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's, that sort of feeling of paralysis, I think, is a lot of people experience, whether it's like literal paralysis mm. uh, via ketamine or psychological paralysis, feeling like you can't say no or stop. That seems to be a common like Absolutely. feeling associated with these experiences. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, to, to, to be laying there and be like, wow, I like, I, th- there's nothing that, I, that you could do to stop that from happening. I mean, that's a, that's a terrifying experience for sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you're right. Totally right about the paralysis too. Um, it's for me, sometimes it's hard to say no, because also I'm a people pleaser. It's always been like that. I want to, it's hard to say no to my friends when they ask you to do something. You know, it's like everything is hard for me to say no to, but then especially in that situation, people have to understand also if you're in a situation like that, and if it's not a clear no, it doesn't mean it's a yes, you know, because like sometimes you're just overwhelmed and it's, you know, so I think people just have to read that fucking energy too. I mean, we're all humans, you know what I mean? So if he's, if he can tell that I'm not into it, I mean, it's not hard to tell, you know, and, and now back to my girlfriend, how she changed my perspective on it is because for the longest time I was like, in a way, and it sounds very cliche, but I was blaming myself, you know, I was like, oh yeah, I mean, yeah, I sh- I mean, I shouldn't have gone to, I shouldn't have agreed to the dinner. I should have gone to back to space. I shouldn't have done the ketamine, you know, so it's my fault. But 
it doesn't fucking matter. You know, like that's also one thing that like, I think it's very common with people who've gone for something like that, that they try to like justify it. And for some weird reason, maybe it's like a Stockholm syndrome or something like, where you almost like want to blame yourself for it, but uh, just agreeing and like honoring and knowing that this person is a piece of shit and, and acknowledging that was a big thing that just I processed in the last year, year, two years with her help also, you know, in, in talking about those kind of things. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And it's funny, you know, I feel like a lot of people say, you know, it sounds cliche to say that I, I blamed myself, but that's what we all do to some mm-hmm. degree. I mean, yeah. I, I, the second I didn't speak up the first time I got molested, I was like, well, now this is, it's too late for me, you know, because what everybody's going to be like, why didn't you say something the first time? And I blamed myself for that, for every subsequent experience. It's like, all of a sudden I have this burden of all the people that are going to make fun of me for, for not saying something sooner and saying that I liked it and all of these different things. And every experience, it feels like the victim has some sort of a rationale for why it was their fault. And yeah. why, you know, why, <laughs> and, uh, the reality is it's like most of the time you're not at all capable of making the decisions that you wish you had made at the time, um, yeah. whether you're physically incapacitated like you, or, you know, you're an eight year old like me and you're not thinking straight. Totally. I mean, there's a million different reasons why people don't speak up in the moment or afterwards. It's why it's so helpful to hear stories like yours and to hear the logic that was associated with these experiences because it's so common. And I think the more people hear that other people blame themselves for these experiences, the easier it is to let go of that blame and just realize like, hey, this is just our response to it. And it doesn't mean that it's true. And yeah. the more, and I feel similarly, it's like, it's so easy in retrospect to go back and be like, oh, here's all the things that I could have done differently to prevent that from happening. But yeah. it's not productive at all. And at the end of the day, it's like people took advantage of us. There's a lot of catharsis that comes from letting go of feeling like you are the one who's at fault. Yeah, yeah. That last experience, was there another contract type thing involved with that? It was a mix of a couple of things. It's, it's just like knowing how powerful this man was. Mm-hmm. By the way, we're not talking about like somebody who's like a casting director or photographer who takes some nice photos. We're talking about a man who the whole that's like something that's a little unique about the situation. I was in China. I don't know if you've been to China, but that's like China is not like uh, any other like Western country. Like the power this man has is like beyond like what rich people have in the U S because like when we went to a hotel to have dinner, like he could not, he rented the whole hotel to have dinner, just the two of us. It was like, it was like some James Bond villain shit on that level, you know? (laughs) So I was in China and I realized like, I don't speak the language. I also was at a hotel, right? I had a visa and in China, he, he, I had problems coming in with my visa. There was some issues. This guy made some calls. They fucking let me through. So he has like power over the immigration in a way. So I was like, that's another element of like, just uh, knowing how I don't want to fuck anything up because I'm literally in China. Cause if I was in New York, you know, I could literally be like, Oh, if anything happens or if anything's uncomfortable, I could literally just walk out. And I'm on a fucking like, I'm in Soho and I just walk out and I'm in New York, you know, in <laughs> yeah. China, there's no way I can go anywhere. Like yeah. from this place, I don't know how to go back. I, by the way, you have no internet. That's also something you have no internet oh, connection man. there. There's no Google maps because everything is blocked in China. I don't speak any Chinese. Nobody speaks English. So right. like literally it's like, you know, it was crazy. So that was also another element and then um, I think and if he's in like, charge of immigration, like if, yeah. if you were to say no or do something that could piss him off, like I imagine that you're thinking would be, fuck, I might not even be able to ever leave here. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And he also made, I mean, this guy specifically made some promises to like, uh, he told me that he can do some very like, you know, great things for me financially. And I was very broke at the time. So he was actually offering to like, you know, help me out financially too. Yeah. And I didn't know what that meant at the time, you know? Um, and so that was another pressure, but there was no specific, like, you know, there was nothing specifically where he said, Oh, I'm going to book you for this job or, you know, not that, but I just know that he has the power to do a lot of things. And that was like some unspoken 
pressure there, you know, yeah. in combination with like the whole Chinese thing I just mentioned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Talk about an impossible scenario to, to get out of. Sometimes I feel like hearing other people's experiences brings clarity to your own in, in ways that you didn't even register. Like the fact that you still blame that you did still blame yourself to some degree for that experience is yeah. like a perfect indication of like, because, you know, people, people who weren't, who didn't go through that, look at the things that you just laid out there and would be, I, I think most people would be like, there's no way you could have gotten out of that. Like, that's like a, that's like a totally is James Bond yeah. supervillain shit. And yeah. um, I think just, just knowing that no matter what the situation is, people will victims find a way to blame themselves. It sort yeah. of makes you feel more okay. I think of letting uh, with letting go of those feelings because yeah. you know yeah. that it's just the natural reaction. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious about your experience also quickly. Like, did you about that specific person do you feel hate towards them like what's your feeling towards them i did for a long time um so we had to go to trial and he did not get convicted um, yeah and so he was just around so whenever i would see him i would get like super fight or flighty like my heart rate would just go through the roof and i would that sounds I, like a trauma response right like totally like, especially when I was younger, if I would see him somewhere where I wasn't like around adults, I, I would just be worried that he would do something. Um, I didn't really know what, but I, to I other think it was, people as well, right. Or just, well, there was, there was always that sort of fear. And I think that he yeah. probably was molesting other boys. Um, yeah. who knows, but mainly when I would see him, it would be for like my own safety. Cause yeah. I didn't, I didn't know how he would, I knew that he was mad, you know, I mean, he was pissed that I had obviously, you know, he wasn't stoked about me talking about this, but <laughs> I just, I didn't know, like, I think sometimes not knowing how people are going to react is it, it can be worse because your brain hypothesizes again with hypotheticals, like mm. the worst case scenario. Um, of course. And I remember when I was testifying on in court, he was in the courtroom for it. And I thought he was going to run across the room and stab me. That was just like my, my first thought when I walked into the courtroom was like, oh, he's going to try to hurt me physically today. Yeah. It didn't even cross my mind that like that would be the most that would be the worst thing that he could possibly do from his own perspective. Um, so anyway, growing up in, in, in high school and things like that, whenever I would see him, I would feel that feeling, you know, worry, fear, um, anger. And uh, as I got physically bigger, the feelings sort of morphed away from fear of what he would do to me to more just like, um, I think it was more just uh, feelings would come back to me that I'd had in the past that were associated with him and, and, and the experiences that I had with him, like the discomfort and, and the, maybe it's the um, emasculating feeling of, of mm -hmm. being molested, maybe. Um, the feelings changed and it was, it, and I felt like I would actually get angry towards him. Like I'd get more aggressive. Like, I felt like I could like, I could fuck this guy up if I wanted to. And yeah. I remember feeling that and being like, maybe I should, you know, but <laughs> I'm still friends with his son. And so that was a big reason why I never sort of acted on any of those feelings and never, you know, we, we only went to criminal trial. We never went to civil civil is when you sue them for money. And yeah. part of the reason I never have sued him civilly is because I wouldn't want to financially hurt his son. Um, yeah. So there's wow. all these other sort of elements involved in this. Yeah. I did see him uh, over Christmas break this past Christmas. And it was the first time I'd seen him since I started doing stand-up comedy, which was back in 2017 was my first time doing it. Yeah. And since starting to do stand-up, my entire perspective on this whole situation has changed from something that I was afraid to think about to now something that I, I not only am I not afraid to think about it anymore, but I, I gain a lot from thinking about it. Every yeah. time I, I think about the experience or, you know, like right now I'm, I'm, I have the whole, here, check this out. <laughs> this is the tra transcript from the trial. <laughs> uh, it's 900 pages um and i've been reading through it because you know it's it's good material uh and yeah the more processing i do and reflecting i do the the less afraid i am to think about the experiences and that makes me feel so much 
safer and more okay. And it allows me to let go of these feelings that I had associated with it all. So it sort of culminated when I did see him again for the first time since doing stand up, and I saw him in Safeway, uh, just the local grocery store. And uh, I didn't feel any of those feelings. I didn't feel any negative emotion towards him at all. And that was a really amazing moment in terms of where I was at healing wise and the progression, obviously healing is an ongoing process and it's still going, but I realized I no longer am afraid of this guy and I no longer am angry towards him. I'm not grateful towards him, of course, but in many ways I'm now thankful for the path that I'm on and being able to help myself and help other people None of that would have happened had I not been molested. So of course I would have preferred to have not been molested, but it happened. And I feel like so much of this is just the perspective that you have on it. And now turning it into something positive through comedy and things like that. I think all of that allowed me to transform the feelings that I was having for him that were so negative into an almost empathetic feeling towards him. And that was, that was a good feeling. Great. That's amazing. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I'm asking this because <clears throat> because I personally, and that's something I've also struggled with, or I was I was judging myself because I didn't have those feelings. I never which feelings of hate. Like mm. that's the thing. Like it's common, right? You you hate that person, but even when I'm not thinking about it, I'm like, I don't. And that's maybe something I'm just like in general incapable. I don't know, but like I never had that feeling of hate. And sometimes, I mean, this goes deeper into like a psychological uh, question, which is like, oh, let's do it. (laughs) Is there a purpose? I thought about this, right? A lot of uh, emotions we feel, right? Jealousy from an evolutionary standpoint can be explained, right? Jealousy makes sense for us as humans to make it to the 21st century because we want to connect with one partner and they protect us. It makes sense, right? It keeps us together. But I was thinking, what is the purpose of hate? Like actually hating somebody. And for a while, like I said, I was judging myself for not having hatred, which would be very justified mm. um, towards that person. But then I was also like, what does that gap me? You know, because you also, I love what you said now that you, when you see this person now, you almost have like, you don't have those feelings. You have almost like a level of empathy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's something I've been wanting. That's what I've always been curious to, to hear from other people. If they have like this rage, like burning hate, but I think you just have, done such a great job of like healing and working through it that like you get to that point which i think is 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 great yeah thank you man the evolutionary purpose of hate i feel like that could be a book i don't know i think so too you know because i I mean i like i said i study psychology so there's so many like there's this whole evolutionary theory that every single emotion we feel has a purpose but i have a hard time understanding like love makes perfect sense right all this stuff even jealousy makes sense there's even a thing like and that's what i find so interesting i just read about this jealousy men and women experience it differently right so women will experience more jealousy if their partner cheats on somebody else emotionally whereas a man finds it harder to see their partner engage sexually with somebody else which makes sense because if if a man like if a woman has sex with another man she is literally taken i mean if he impregnates her game over for you for your own procreation and women want more of that protection from a man too, you know? So uh, they, if, if, I mean, if a man has sex with another woman, it's like, that's one thing. But if he's in love with another woman, it means he's not going to be able to protect me, my child. Mm-hmm. So, um, but hate, that's what I was like wondering, like, what is the actual purpose? Like fear makes sense. We stay away from the things that, you know, are dangerous. Hate, I guess it's, it can be in the same category. You stay away from people, but like, I think hate only spreads more hate. It's like the opposite of joy, right? You make somebody love, you spread happiness. It kind of multiplies. Same for hate, though. If you hate this person, you express that hate too. You only like make him also maybe then be more hateful towards other people. I don't think it has any sort of like purpose. So that's why I love that you have gotten to that point. Yeah. Maybe the purpose of hate is to let go of it. Mm. To be able to have an emotion that is so extremely negative that when you do eventually let go of it, you make room for love and mm, love the yeah. opposite emotions. Maybe it's, yeah. the, maybe it's a stepping stone in evolution to yeah. have people experience what your life is like living under the influence of hate uh, or not under the influence, but living a hateful life yeah. to 
experience that and then to decide is this the way that I want my life to be mm. and then maybe maybe that's it I don't know though <laughs> that makes sense. I mean yeah it's interesting, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's fascinating man I yeah. love it um yeah. so a couple more questions for you here cool when did you first speak up about these experiences and how did it feel um I, I mean honestly if, about the actual sexual assaults I spoke up about it for the first time during the pandemic last year. That's I made a YouTube video because I was like, you know what? I always had this struggle with like, I didn't want to use something like this because there's always the issue with YouTube. I didn't want to use it for like YouTube views or gain anything from it or get attention or something like that. Yeah. So that's why I never wanted to share that story openly besides from like, you know, all the stigma and the stuff that comes with it. Um, so yeah, I, I had talked previously about the sexual harassment but almost like in a joking way, because at the end of the day, it is like I always struggle with what is because I'm very open. I've had also experiences with men. I've kissed other men, you know, and I've like sometimes I just want to be open to those experiences, too. And I wonder, like, if it's an, I have also I've had attractive photographers also hit on me and, uh, you know, that like give me a massage and, and, you know, even oral sex and. I was like, okay, this was an experience I don't regret. This is like not necessarily my thing, but like, I was like, I have an open mind with it to it, you know? Mm -hmm. So those kind of, those things I always talk about openly also with other models and stuff, uh, almost like in a joking way, you know? But the sexual assault, I first talked about it in, like I said, 2000, yeah, last year, I mean, 2020. And I was not expecting the emotional, like how emotional it made me. Mm -hmm. for like the next couple of weeks even when I told it now the story like when I when I think about it I'm not like traumatized or I didn't ever have that like traumatic experience that people expect you know I, I was even after the next day I was fine I was like just went back home back to work you know what I mean flew back to New York it was all good but when I shared that story there was like something happened inside of me and I was very emotional like for for a week or two you know after that and I was like wow this is I was a little bit in denial of like that it did affect me, you know, the fact that it did affect me. And um, yeah, then yeah. sharing it though was honestly, uh, it, it felt great because it was not, it didn't feel like something I did for attention. I mean, the video did extremely well on YouTube and, but I think it still was more empowering, more empowering than anything. Cause I wanted to share the story of like the, the angle of, Hey, if you're a man, it's okay to talk about your emotions. You know, that's the one yeah. big thing on my channel to that talk about a lot is toxic masculinity because I've experienced it a lot growing up in Germany and in, in a, in a town like with playing soccer and a lot of like masculinity and all this shit, you know, my family is a family of lumberjacks. And I was like, being able to share those emotions. And that's something I wanted to empower people to do. And I think, I'm getting so many messages now from people that are really, really touching messages of people saying that me sharing that story has enabled them to share theirs or has, you know, has made them not feel like they're alone in this and has, you know, and then that's, that's something that just, you know, is the purpose of like why I do YouTube in a way, you know, it's like if yeah. I can provide something like that. So it was definitely the right move to share it, but it took a while. Like I said, it took like from when it happened, it took like four years to me actually speaking about like talking about it publicly that's yeah. amazing man and yeah that that feeling hey I, <laughs> i'm gonna talk about this because you talked about it and mm, i don't yeah. feel so alone and and those it really is like the most incredible feeling it, it's so backwards you know people have these experiences and they feel like they can never talk about them and they think people are going to hate them for it and all the other reasons they don't speak up and then the second you do it's like oh my god like this is it's it's like you take the power back all yeah. of a sudden it's like i'm not afraid to talk about this and i'm not afraid for people to know about it and you set yeah. other people free as a result it's just this amazing experience that happens as absolutely at all and yeah. uh i i and you also said something there about denying the uh denying that it happened denying the effect that it actually had on you for a yeah. couple of weeks yeah. after and yeah. you know you said you just hopped on a plane and went right back and that was exactly how i felt too you know, I would get molested and just wake up the next day and, you know, go down and eat breakfast as if everything was fine and, yeah. uh, and you go home, go to practice, you know, and that's, that's the coping mechanism. It's our bodies and, and brains not being able or ready to process these experiences that have happened. And, um, 
it, it, it is funny because I also thought that that would further compound people thinking that it was weird that I didn't speak up. Like you weren't even yeah. affected by this. It just seems like you were into it. And yeah. uh, it took me a long time to even like say on stage and to people that I would get boners while it was going on. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's the more you reflect on these things. And I think the more honest you are with your emotions and, and how you really felt about it, the more healing you're able to do because yeah. it really just comes down to acceptance. I think acceptance mm-hmm. of like, yeah. what really happened? What, what were you really thinking? And not feeling like you need to fabricate or change the story at all to please other people or try yeah. to preserve your own image or whatever. And, um, it's just awesome, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm really happy for you that you, that you made that video and are now on, you know, on this trajectory and are helping so many other people and, and yourself. It's, it's inspiring to see. And uh, I wanted to ask you, what advice would you give to somebody who has been through something similar and is hoping to get to the point that you're at now? I mean, the easiest thing is literally openly communicated talk about it um as men we often have this this feeling that we we can't yeah you can't be you can't be vulnerable you can't share any of your emotions and um yeah because talking about it has just yeah you don't you have so many assumptions about that kind of stuff and you you always judge yourself for it and um it, talking about it with other people has just changed my perspective especially with my girlfriend also she encouraged me to make that video and if i hadn't opened up about this whole experience to her, then I wouldn't have got to this place where I'm now where I see this experience, not as something that's gonna that like, takes away from my life, I think it almost like adds to my life and and now gives me a chance to potentially help other people, you know, just like yourself. Uh, And it all started with openly communicating it. Because like I said, I didn't talk about it with anybody, not even my closest friends, not my parents, not my mother, My, my dad for the first time when he heard about this story was when you watched my YouTube video, <laughs> you know, so that <laughs> yeah. shows you that I wasn't talking about it with anybody. And um, yeah, the real healing started once I did. That's definitely, yeah. yeah. I love it, man. I, could, I couldn't agree more. And you said that, you know, you're potentially helping people. And I would just say that you are definitely helping people, not potentially at all. It's, it's happening. And there's yeah. honestly yeah. like you're, you're helping more, more people than you'll ever know. I would say mm-hmm. that the majority of people who are probably affected by these things and see your content are not going to reach out, but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean, you know, you're, you're still doing an immense amount for them. They might not be at the level of, at the point yet where they feel like they can talk about it, but seeing somebody like yourself, who's willing to talk about these things. So honestly, and without shame is going to be giving them the strength and a vision of what can be and what is possible. I'm happy for you. And I'm so glad that our paths crossed at the, uh, at the yeah. fourth wall and, and um, check out Mario on YouTube and Instagram and TikTok. Mario Adrian, do you want to, um, is it Mario Adrian on all platforms? Yeah, Mario Adrian. My, my TikTok was deleted because I wore, I wore a Speedo. So they took down my account. No but, shit. Uh, every, everything else is Mario Adrian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And that's A-D-R-I-O-N. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mario, thank you so much for coming on here, man. I can't of wait course. to see you again soon. No, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate that. I hope to see you around again. Oh, we definitely will, man. <laughs> I'll see All you. Right. Bye. Peace, Mario.